Hi everyone, welcome back to Star Wars The Hyra Podcast. On this edition of The Hyra Podcast, we're going to be covering the Age of Resistance Villains series of comics. Um, this accompanied the, the group that I covered last week, which were focused on the heroes from the sequel era. This one looks at the villains, and I'm going to do the same thing I did last time. I'm going to start out with the comic that I found most interesting and talk about what I learned and how it connects to other parts of Star Wars lore, and then I'm going to kind of go in descending order. So the first one on my list is definitely the comic on Supreme Leader Snoke. Um, this comic seemed to sell out quickly. I went to um, a small comic book store to purchase this, um, I think the day it was released or maybe the morning after, and they had already obviously sold a bunch. Um, you know, they had to like dig around to see if there were any left. Um, and that doesn't surprise me because Snoke has been, um, of great interest. I think that him getting, um, cut down <laughs> halfway through, uh, The Last Jedi dimmed a little bit of the interest in it. Um, I had bought my Supreme Leader Snoke Halloween costume, um, the year before on sale after Halloween. Halloween, thinking that he would still be a major character. And when I had to dress up as him um, after The Last Jedi had come out, it felt like, uh, you know, or already a pretty passe costume idea. Um, so I think that dimmed a little bit of the interest in him. And probably uh, Rise of Skywalker didn't help too much because, you know, we see that Snoke himself wasn't super important to begin with, at least not, you know, from how the Emperor sees it. But anyway, I still think that he's fascinating. I still hope that we learn a lot more about him. And I thought that this comic did a good job of starting to give us some details, even though, of course, you know, it's not going to tell us his whole backstory. Um, and I think some people were disappointed to not learn more. Um, I heard some comments, you know, of people saying it's really more of a Kylo Ren story. And I guess that's true. Um, I mean, as Obi-Wan says, you know, it depends on your um, point of view <laughs> because, uh you know, it really tells the story of the two of them together training. So you, you can see it, you know, more from the teacher or the student's eyes. But at the end of the day, it was um, a great uh, combination, I thought, of learning about the two of them and their relationship together. And that's something that has continued to grow a lot with the new Kylo Ren series, um, which I will be discussing on a soon-to-come edition of the podcast. As far as this comic goes, this really follows the story of some of Kylo Ren's training. Um, we know by the time of The Force Awakens that his training is mostly complete because uh, Supreme Leader Snoke says at the end of the movie, he summons General Hux to go pick up Kylo Ren, who just lost his fight with Rey, um, and to bring him to see Supreme Leader Snoke to complete his training. And we don't directly have that addressed uh, in the film, but it seems like uh, from The Last Jedi that, you know, him bringing Rey to Snoke, basically earning her trust and then betraying her, that that was the final step of his training. I, I think we can kind of assume assume that unless there was something else that he was going to get training on that he missed out on <laughs> by, um, you know, slicing his teacher in half. I mean, that will end your lessons pretty quick. Um, but in this comic, we see what I assume to be a kind of midpoint in his training. Um, we see, you know, he starts out with Snoke is basically holding Kylo Ren up above a bunch of uh, very sharp crystals and then drops him, leaving Kylo to fend for himself, you know, and Snoke says you know, that he wouldn't have saved him if he had fallen, that Luke Skywalker would have kind of coddled him, he would have saved him, and that he's clearly not that kind of master. Um, I'm going to get into the Kylo Ren, um, 
series, as I mentioned uh, in another podcast, but I did want to flag that there, when we first see Snoke and Kylo, it's not the beginning of their relationship, but it's a lot closer to the beginning. They have a very warm relationship. We see Snoke disturbingly hugging Kylo and Kylo, like, you know, embracing him very warmly. Um, It was pretty... uh, (laughs) unsettling to see. And in this comic, that is clearly not their relationship. They clearly have the abusive relationship that we see uh, in um, Last Jedi. So they end up going on um, a little field trip together, and Snoke brings Kylo Ren to the cave in Dagobah where Luke trained in uh, in Empire Strikes Back, and specifically into the cave where Luke cuts down um, Darth Vader in a force vision um, only to see that underneath the mask, it's actually Luke looking back at himself. Um, In this case, Kylo Ren goes into the cave and Supreme Leader Snoke says that, you know, he has to kind of defeat what he finds in there. So first comes Luke and Kylo really doesn't seem to have uh, too much regret in striking him down. Um, who knows whether, you know, he realizes at this point that it is um, just a test or that there's something real about it. Um, Luke definitely, in Empire Strikes Back, seems to think, for a second at least, that this really is Vader. Um, and he kind of gets lost in that Force vision until uh, Vader is defeated. So here, who knows, but Kylo definitely strikes strikes Luke down pretty easily. And instead of the test being done, suddenly Leia and Han appear And I would say that at this point, you know, regardless of how clear the vision is, probably Kylo has figured out that this isn't really his parents standing before them. But even the idea of killing them um, seems to be too much uh, for him. And so he ends up um, tricking Snoke by violently attacking, you know, basically a a part of the cave, a a tree branch or something, uh, to, you know, give the emotional um, image to Snoke, who's kind of reading him through the force, that he's chopping down his parents, while in actuality he's not doing that. And I thought this was great foreshadowing of The Last Jedi, and maybe this is even where Kylo kind of learns how to trick Snoke, because Snoke is looking through the force at Kylo's emotions, and if Kylo can, uh, you know, connect those emotions clearly enough, he can actually, um, you know, fool Snoke in that way. So in The Last Jedi, we see, you know, Kylo using his physical actions with his lightsaber hill and with where Rey is and with how he's feeling about, you know, resolve that he's going to do the right thing. He's able to trick Snoke while he's actually, you know, moving the Skywalker saber um, to strike Snoke down. And here we see the exact same thing. So, um, this is definitely, you know, some strong um, foreshadowing of how he's going to use that ability to defeat Snoke um, later on in his training. The end of this is really cool, too, um, and a little bit, uh, I think, symbolic for the Skywalker saga having come to an end. Um, at the end of this, uh, Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, tears the cave down around him, um, just makes it explode. Kind of like he made, um, the, uh, you know, the hut that we see him sleeping in, um, where Luke appears to him and, you know, Kylo thinks that he's killed Luke by pulling the whole, um, the whole hut down. He basically destroys the cave in a similar way. Um, 
And, you know, Snoke says, I was hoping to bring future apprentices here. And he says, you won't need another apprentice, um, which is great. And we kind of see Snoke smirking at the end, like he's happy that uh, that Kylo has done this. But uh, I think it's also interesting because, you know, they've destroyed kind of an iconic um setting from the Star Wars universe. And I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, they really are moving on from the Skywalker saga there, you know, Lucasfilm apparently didn't worry about, oh, well, what if we do a future movie on Dagobah and we want to use that cave again? You know, I think by destroying it, um, that set that up pretty well. And interestingly, I think they've avoided doing that in the movies. Um, you know, like they decided to blow up Posnian Prime, a planet we had never heard of, instead of having the capital still be on Coruscant. And I assume that they probably did that because they wanted to leave Coruscant in case they wanted to go back to it. And it seems like at this point, you know, they're playing a little bit uh, looser with some of the, um, you know, the material from from the Skywalker saga, as they're calling it. I also, um, it's been frustrating to see that they are willing to um, make some pretty big changes to what we've had in the books and comics in the movies. Um, and so on the other hand, I kind of feel like I wouldn't be shocked, you know, in 10 years if they have a a new Jedi Order movie with Rey as, you know, Master Rey Skywalker. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go back to Dagobah and somehow the cave is there. I mean, I doubt that they would do that, but I don't think that destroying it in a comic would really stop them from having it magically reappear because they don't seem uh, too concerned about consistency, you know, as far as like the movies trumping the books. The books have been very, um, you know, faithful to the films, but the other way around has not always happened. So anyway, I thought that was a great comic. I thought it was a great story. I loved seeing Kylo training with Snoke. Um, it definitely, uh, you know, mirrors the, like, abusive relationship that we see between Vader and Sidious when, you know, Vader's being trained after his fall. And I think it's a great parallel, too, where, you know, right up to when Anakin Skywalker falls to the dark side, Palpatine is, you know, very caring, um, maybe even affectionate towards him. They have a really close relationship. Probably the closest thing that, you know, Anakin has to a father since Obi-Wan, you know, was kind of, they say, like a brother to him. Um, Palpatine was probably his father figure. And so it's interesting to see that as the the relationship between Kylo and Snoke um, slowly gets fleshed out in, in these materials, that they had a similar relationship where Kyle, uh, Kylo was um, obviously really emotionally close to Snoke and trusted him a lot. And Snoke was able to fake you know, this affection and, and love for him. Um, and then as soon as he falls, um, we very quickly see that relationship turn violent. Next up, I'm going to talk about uh, General Hux and Captain Phasma. And I'll talk about them together um, because I think there's a lot of tie-in materials uh, that overlap a little bit between the two. Um, the General Hux comic was probably my second favorite after Snoke. Uh, I liked that um, we get to first start out with Hux when he's just a boy, and then the comic jumps forward to kind of close to, to present day. Um, we learn a lot about uh, General Hux's father, 
um, in the Aftermath trilogy of books, which uh, was kind of the first set of new novels, um, at least in a trilogy form, to come after Disney purchased Lucasfilm. Um, they were not super popular. Um, I think that they're great. I think a lot of people were unhappy with them because they didn't follow too much of the story of kind of the classic trilogy characters, um, Luke and Leia. They got more into that as time went along, but they really focused on their own set of characters, and I think some people were disappointed about that. But I think that they're great. I think that they hold up really well as the years have kind of gone, gone by. And one thing that we learn about is General Hux's origins. So we find out that his father, Brendel Hux, was in the Empire. Um, he was leading an academy, and uh, that makes him particularly important as the Empire is kind of reforming after the Emperor dies. Um, we have uh, Grand Admiral Ray Sloan kind of leading the Empire, and uh, the idea of having someone who can train kind of the next generation uh, of Imperial uh, troopers and officers is really appealing. So they go after General Hux to, uh, you know, that General Hux, the old General Hux, to save him and bring him on board with their new uh, council that they're starting. Um, we learn that that the um, Brendel Hux, the Elder Hux, has a son uh, from an uh, affair that he was having. And by his own admission, his son is um, is kind of weak, useless, um, but they want to bring the son along because um, the shadowy leader who is behind Grand Admiral Sloan um, at that point uh, says that the emperor, um, the empire needs children and that they're going to need um, the next generation to be able to continue on. And, you know, we learn at the end of that trilogy of books that, of course, those leaders, some of them at least to survive, escape into the unknown regions and end up forming the First Order, or at least that's what we assume. We don't know um, yet exactly how that Imperial remnant um, that escaped after the Battle of Jakku ends up forming the First Order, but we can assume that right now from what we know. So we get that kind of origin story for, for um, General Hux, and we continue learning more about him in the Phasma novel um, that came out a few years ago. Um, this is another book, I think it's probably seems like it's been one of the less popular, less well-reviewed books, but I really love it. To me, it has a really strong element of um, kind of the alien films. <laughs> There's a lot of um, perilous dangers in this story and some um, gross kind of uh, beetles that can quickly suck the life out of people on this um, kind of destroyed planet, basically, that we learn Phasma is from. And one of the big things that we learn in this book is not just Phasma's whole origin story, um, but we also get to learn more about how she worked together with General Hux and conspired to kill his father in kind of a power play, um, because at that point he was one of the most important people in the First Order, and they both kind of craved that power. So we get to learn a lot about uh, both of them in that novel, even though it's mostly focused on Phasma's origin story. And I think both of the, the Hux and the Phasma comics in this series really kind of pick off um, where where those novels lead off in a lot of ways. So for Hux, we get to see him um, at the beginning of his comic um, as a kid, you know, basically with his kind of abusive father and the old school imperial officers that surrounded him. Um, the comic leaves him stranded with Kylo Ren on a planet where they find a, an old, old Iranian guy who... Um, 
basically escaped the destruction of Alderaan um, and is hiding out still because he has no idea what happened, um, if the Empire has fallen or not. Hux ends up tricking him and we get to see some of Hux's devious side. You know, uh, Kylo Ren is unconscious and so Hux is able to convince the Alderanian guy that this is Ben Solo, the son of Princess Leia, and that they're the good guys, you know, the Empire is no more, the Death Stars have been destroyed, and, you know, they need his help to escape. So he lets them send a communication, and the First Order um, arrives to rescue them, and they leave the guy stranded. And, you know, Hux basically says, we're going to um, come back and use it for target practice someday with Starkiller Base. So I really liked that storyline. I liked um, getting to kind of explore the idea of people out in the galaxy who don't know what happened with the war. It was cool to see someone in the old Alderanian uniform. Um, it was cool to see the same style of um, blockade runner that we see Leia in in A New Hope. Um, and later on, we see again in Rise of Skywalker. Um, and then at the end of the story, Hux comes back um, with Kylo Ren. They go before Supreme Leader Snoke and Hux says, you know, this was sabotage. Someone within the First Order did this and I'm going to go punish them. So we see Hux confront the same old uh, former Imperial, now First Order officer who had mistreated him at the beginning of the comic when Hux was a kid. And basically he kills him and says, you know, I know that you're not the saboteur, but I'm going to <laughs> pretend that you are. And so he kills him. And, you know, he says that that officer, like Kylo Ren and like Snoke, all underestimate him. So we really see... Um, how his story, which, you know, started in a lot of ways in the Aftermath books and continued with the Phasma novel, we get to see um, how that kind of comes into play as he's taking out his revenge. On the other side, I thought that the Phasma comic um, wasn't so much a continuation of the previous work, but in a lot of ways was just kind of rehashing the same themes. You know, basically, this story sees Phasma um, leading her troops in a battle and ultimately being willing to sacrifice them um, for her goals. You know, we don't see her as being particularly brave. We see her as, um, you know, being perfectly fine with her troops dying, if that means that she can win, and in fact, willing to kill anyone who might reveal those tendencies. That's largely the same thing that we see in the Phasma comic series that came out um, just before The Last Jedi, which told us how Phasma escaped um, from uh, Starkiller Base, from the garbage chute where she's left by uh, Chewbacca. We see how she escapes that and then basically goes around um, hunting down the, the person who knew that she was the one who let down the shield. Basically, she can't let him survive and allow there to be someone out there who knows that she let down the shield for Starkiller Base to save her own uh, skin, which, you know, is really... Um, interesting because I think that part of the movie gets glossed over pretty quickly, but Phasma could have just told them, no, I'm not going to give you the codes and saved Starkiller Base. Instead, she allowed her First Order's, you know, main weapon to be destroyed along with probably millions of lives um, so that she can survive. And that really tells us a lot about her character. That comic explores it. The novel Phasma explores it. You know, basically she's only out there for herself um, and she really uh, is a coward despite being such a great warrior, you know, at the end of the day, uh, only her own survival matters. And I do think that it's interesting that the end of Phasma's story, at least as far as we can tell, is uh, 
her finally dying when she did decide to take a stand instead of taking the easy way out. So in Last Jedi, we see her deciding to, after the ship, the supremacy is blasted um, and cut down the middle uh, and the hangar that she's in is falling apart. She decides to come back and take on Finn Instead of just sneaking out, it would have been really easy for her at that point in The Last Jedi to hop in a shuttle and disappear. And it's actually not at all consistent with her character in the books and comics that she decided to come back and fight against Finn um, when, you know, she could have easily escaped and left and assumed that he probably died or if not, who cares? Um, She decides that, you know, enough is enough and she's taking him out. And that choice appears to have cost her her life when Finn defeats her and she goes falling down, down, down into an explosion where we can assume that she dies, although that's always a dangerous assumption in Star Wars. I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw her come back in some fashion in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess you can see that as an inconsistency um, or or maybe that's just the culmination where she had finally uh, gotten irritated enough with him that she said, you know, I'm taking you out before I leave here. And uh, that part of the story definitely mirrors a scene in Phasma, um, a couple of scenes in Phasma in the, in the book where she has to kind of be in a, in a showdown um, battle against an opponent. Um, but in this case, the, the difference is she could have just run. And so I'm, I'm kind of surprised that she didn't. Um, but of course, it gives us that great fight with Finn. And uh, maybe that was, you know, her her undoing. She kind of overestimated her abilities there and should have gone with her gut instinct, which was, you know, survival at all costs. So finally, we get to the Kylo Ren comic. Um, I thought that this was an interesting story. Uh, I just thought that it, it showed us the least new information about the character than all of the other stories. Um, here we have Kylo Ren um, leading a battle. Uh, it was kind of cool to get to see um, see him lead a ground battle in a way that we barely get to see uh, in the movies. I mean, we do see him... Um, in Rise of Skywalker and kind of the introductory scene, we see him uh, on the planet Mustafar um, battling, you know, a bunch of uh, protectors of Vader's crumbling castle. So that's cool. But usually he's kind of coming up the rear. I mean, in Force Awakens, you know, that's what happens uh, at the beginning. Um, and in the, the village on Jakku, you know, he's kind of the last one to come off the ship. Actually, if you think about it, BB-8 probably wouldn't have escaped with the plans had Kylo Ren gotten off his ship right away, but instead he sends his troops first. Um, and then the same thing kind of happens um, on on Takodana. Like, we don't see him playing kind of a leading role. He's kind of off um, to the side, you know, looking for Rey while the main battle is taking place. So it is cool to get to see him kind of... Uh, you know, on, on the battlefield with a bunch of troops behind him. Um, again, he's kind of up to more like devious ways than, than just leading the battle directly. He goes in to try to negotiate supposedly with the, the leader of this, um, you know, alien species. And, uh, they're trying to apparently start their own little empire, um, across several planets. And, you know, he says that those plans end today. And, um, 
when the the leader resists him, he just kills him and then goes back outside and they say, you know, now he has to face um, the the alien's god, which ends up being a Zillow beast. So if you're not familiar with the Zillow beast, we saw this in the Clone Wars. Um, this is a species that um, comes, as far as we know, from um, Malastair. Um, and uh, it's a huge, huge creature. Um, they initially encounter one in Clone Wars, and it actually ends up being brought to Coruscant, where Palpatine is experimenting on it, um, interested especially in its, uh, in its skin that can't be penetrated by a lightsaber. So, um, you know, that's kind of where that story leaves off in Clone Wars. Now we get to see one again. And Kylo Ren ends up defeating it, which apparently, you know, is something that Vader wasn't able to do. There's um, a lot of parallels, literally like parallel images in the comics um, to show how his actions lined up against what Vader was supposedly doing. Um, and we see that Kylo Ren ends up killing the Zillow Beast by climbing down inside of it and slashing his way out with his lightsaber. Um, so it's definitely cool. It's interesting to see even more about how Kylo Ren is obsessed with his grandfather and how that's really a driving force behind so much of what he does. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, we've gotten enough of that in other content. I would have liked to see something new explored here. Um, I also, I don't know, I found it hard to believe that Kylo was able to accomplish what Vader couldn't there. I don't think that they've done uh, too much in in the comics to or in the in the movies rather to establish that uh Kylo is more powerful than Vader um maybe he is I don't know I think Kylo versus Anakin uh I think Anakin would have won but I guess by the time Anakin becomes Darth Vader he is missing a few uh, limbs and <laughs> is somewhat weakened. Um, we don't get to see, you know, much of Vader, uh, fighting in the movies, you know, I mean, the little scene that we got in Rogue One with him coming down the corridor and taking out troops is like kind of as close as we, as we got to that kind of action. Um, but I don't know. I It's interesting that Kylo was able to, to do what Vader couldn't because Vader, definitely seems to me to at least be the more cunning of the two. I mean, Kylo manages to overthrow Snoke. I think that's kind of him at his most impressive. Um, but really, you know, he doesn't have the same um, kind of calm, uh, uh, no, I don't know, like planning that, that Vader has in different situations. We really see Vader outsmarting his his enemies a lot. And it seems like with, with Kylo, it's really just like anger and brute force. So anyway, um, whether or not I, I think it's realistic that it happened, Kylo was able to succeed where Vader had not. And, you know, congrats to him on that. I'm sure his grandfather would be really proud. Well, that's it for uh, this edition of the podcast. Uh, very soon, we're going to be talking about a lot more Kylo Ren, um, the Rise of Kylo Ren series, which I think finally gives us something really new about Kylo's story. Um, and it's a great series. I'm really surprised, actually, that they are telling us this much through a comic. I It's the kind of story that's 
um, so uh, important to that character that I'm I'm surprised a little bit that they didn't hold off on this for maybe a cartoon series or something else in the future. Um, but we're getting it right now in the form of an excellent comic. It gives us one of our first looks at the High Republic, so we'll definitely be discussing that too. Um, and a lot more where that came from. So I hope that if you haven't already, that you'll subscribe to the podcast. And thanks for listening.